Hey folks, welcome to Pivot Point. My name is Joseph DiBiase and this is my podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to Pivot Point. Thank you for tuning in as always. Have a really great show for you today. Um, But before we do that... Uh, I'm going to have a little conversation with Kristen. So if I sound a little different, it's because I'm not at my home studio. I am in Santa Fe with KBD. And um, we're going to record a bit of an introduction. The origins are from a conversation we were having while driving up to Santa Fe. And we were talking about curiosity and passion and what what are the differences about having curiosity and passion when it comes to your art do you remember that Kristen? i remember a little bit about it a little bit (laughs) okay i remember i think we've had this conversation a couple times yes Mm -hmm. over the course of years we talk about creativity we talk about passion you know as far as our careers are shaping up and how things shift and change. Mm -hmm. And tell me more about that. Well, you know, sometimes once you get into a career, it's not so much about passion anymore. I think um, when people talk about following passion, you know, Liz Gilbert has some really great things to say about following your passion versus following creativity. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not always easy or available to follow your passion Mm -hmm. as an individual. And sometimes she says, if you can't do that, that following your curiosity is as good a thing, perhaps, because you can do that anywhere, anytime. You can go to a library and, and you know, follow your curiosity. You and I do it all the time. We call it going down a rabbit hole, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And we just follow some question that we have. What if? Or, hey, what about this? Or mm-hmm. I found this, you know? Sometimes I'll even hear, like, a phrase kind of on the wind or something and, you know, quickly write it down and then... I want to know what it means. I want to know what the etymology is. I want sure. to know a lot. Sure. And I think we were also talking a little bit about comparing one with the other when, say, you just don't feel the passion. Right. Yes. You know, and it just not feeling passion, but if you can reframe it into curiosity, you can go a whole lot deeper just because you're curious, again, with the question that we both like a lot, which is what if? What if we do this? What if we looked at it in a certain way? What if it sounded like yeah. X, Y, or Z? Yeah. So that I think we were, we were talking about being under pressure mm-hmm. to say you have five cues that need to be written. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you get you have one cue that you're passionate about, right? You've been living with it. But then you have these four other cues, these pieces of music. Where does the passion come from? And yet you have this deadline. Right, and sometimes it is the motivation of the deadline that helps get something done. Yeah, yeah. And then we were also talking that the curiosity will always lead us in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I know I've interviewed others. I think if you remember Stacy Weidlitz would always talk about waking up and the fear of not reaching the deadline is what pushed him forward. And um, I think, you know, whatever works, um, but this is just a different aspect of looking at it with uh, digging in into curiosity because you might discover some gems. Right. And I think curiosity is something that can, you know, it can lead you in new directions that you haven't thought of before in, you know, your whole creative life um, or right within your, you know, your scope of expertise. Mm -hmm. You know, it can 
it can cover a broad range of things. Yeah, I think too that curiosity takes away the restraints as well. Mm -hmm. the, because we, we kind of come in with our bag of tricks, right. our bag of rules, mm -hmm. and when you play them out, you, you spend them, and you still have more to deliver, curiosity can play a great way of re-looking at your rules, mm -hmm. re-looking at your bag of tricks. Mm -hmm. Broadening your boundaries. Broadening your boundaries, yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It, yeah, it can show you places that you could take music or art or anything um, in new directions. Yeah, that's a great segue into the show today. So my guests are Meredith Grundy and Joseph Bennett. Now, I'll tell you, this is the first time I've ever interviewed two people at once. At first, it was kind of interesting. It's like teaching a class and you, you ask a question and nobody raises their hand. So <laughs> it's like, wait a minute, right, that, that process is not going to work. And then you just don't want to go, okay, Meredith, this question's for you. But we did find our way. It was a lot of fun. And um, let me tell you about Meredith and Joseph. So they have a podcast called, Are You Waiting for Permission? That's the name of their podcast. You can find it on all podcast platforms. Meredith is an actor. She is in New York. She's an improviser and she coaches. And she also coaches business professionals. Joseph lives in San Miguel de Allende in Mexico. And he also coaches. Did I get that right? All right. Kristen's looking at me. Wasn't sure if I got the name right. Not Joseph. I got that right. How do you say it? She's laughing over there. Come on. Speak it up. <laughs> San Miguel de, come on, Allende. That wasn't that how I said it. <laughs> close, close. Okay. Joseph lives there. He's also a coach. He coaches artists and other creatives that are about the beautiful business of art and life. So the reason why I said this was a great segue is because you're going to hear how diverse their lives are, and what they're using as curiosity to make their life come together. They do live in separate areas of the world, and yet they do this podcast weekly. I strongly urge you to check it out. Are you waiting for permission? And that's by Meredith Grundy and Joseph Bennett. So here we go. Our conversation. <laughs> Hey there. Good to see you. You not, too. They're not in a little head bubble. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I love it. I can tell you're in New York. As soon as you come on, I hear the New York sirens in the background. You <laughs> Oh, I should shut my window. That's a great. Hold on. It's like, oh, home sweet home. <laughs> I'm home again. Home. <laughs> hey, Joseph, how are you? Great, Joseph. How are you doing? I'm well. And where are you located? Are you in New York as well? No, I'm in central Mexico, about four hours north of Mexico City. Oh, no kidding. Wow. I'm in a town called San Miguel de Allende, which is where okay. Meredith and I met. She was traveling with her husband and child and dog and cat. Wow. Just walking down the street and you said, Hey, let's I do pretty much. Let's I do a podcast. <laughs> she, he's like, who's that chick walking down the street with a dog and a cat and a husband and a kid? <laughs> and a Winnebago. <laughs> In a Winnebago. <laughs> did you really did you really have a dog and a cat? I did. Well, we took an RV trip. We went through uh, the south of the US and then dropped into Mexico and lived in Mexico for six months in an RV. Wow, that actually but, sounds quite cool. Yeah, it was it was pretty cool. Meredith, how's my volume today? It's it's good. It's better. Great. Okay. 
Where's your volume not well? Only for the first two years. <laughs> we had several podcasts where I like, I think his volume's okay. I can't tell. And then I go to request to, to edit it and I was like, nope, it wasn't okay. But not it's all good. okay. Not, We're, oh. We've resolved it. Nice. Gro- growing pains. Mm-hmm. Yes, growing that, pains. That I have is... since gotten a new microphone. Oh, okay. Well, you sound well. You sound you sound good. You both do. Good. So. Thank you. So do you. Thank you. Uh, welcome to the show, both of you. This is the first time I've interviewed two people at once. Oh, it will be your last. Trust It'll me. <laughs> and I'm excited about this. So I'm going to be asking some questions and either of you can answer. I'm not going to ask them specifically unless I decide to, you know, dig in on something. So where do you come from? He's pointing. He's Meredith. pointing at me. I mean, yeah. I'm supposed to, ladies first, right, Ladies Joseph? first. Yes. Ladies first. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I was born in Phoenix, Arizona, and then my parents moved to Colorado when I was about five. So essentially, I was raised in Colorado, in, Colorado. in a town called Fort Collins, Colorado, which is an hour north of Denver. Mm-hmm. And I always, uh, I enjoyed my upbringing, I, but I've always been a very curious person. So as soon as I could, I left. I was like, I am out of here Wow! and um, moved and what, to what San- age was that? Well, I wanted to be out of there like at 18, but that's a whole story in itself. Uh-huh. Do you want me to tell it? I, do you want yeah. me to tell the cliff note version of it? Yeah. It, it sounds like you were ready to just, uh, I've got my freedom now. I'm an adult. I'm out. I, yeah. And I ended up having to go to state school because I had really bad grades in high school, uh-huh. uh, which is that whole story in itself for another podcast at another time on another day. And I ended up in San Francisco after graduating from college, which took me six years to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, went, I went to uh, San Francisco and my dad was like, I don't want you moving there. It's a very hard city to live in. It's very expensive. And, uh, but if you really want to do this, then we're driving you out. And he rented a Bronco suburban truck and put all my stuff in there. And my mom and my dad and I all drove out to San Francisco, two-day drive. He said, you have two days to find a place. If you do not find a place, you're coming home with us. Because I think this is a ridiculous idea but I'm trying to be supportive. So I was like, great. And literally within, <laughs> within the last hours, I found a place in Albany, California, which is right next to Berkeley, right at the base of Solano Avenue. And I, at the time, it was a 600-square-foot house. I think I was paying maybe 550 bucks. I found wow. a roommate. I lived in the living room because it was only in a one-bedroom, and I made it happen. Wow. And then they drove off and I have never lived at home since. And I have yeah. n- always gravitated to cities. So I lived in San Francisco, then Chicago, went back to Boulder for graduate school and then came and now I'm in New York. There's a lot in this. Let's unpack this a little <laughs> bit uh-huh. because, well, first of all, you're an actor. <laughs> Were you acting in high school? Did you want, like, why that expression? Why that artistic expression for you? Oh, it's because it's where I fit in. It was Mm. a community of people that got me. And I also loved the art department. So I was a visual artist too. And I spent all of my time in high school, which is why my grades were bad, in the visual arts department, Mm -hmm. creating work and in the theater. That's all, th- those were the only two places I wanted to be. And mm-hmm. I loved how crazy the people were and curious and adventurous. And I loved going on the field trips to go see plays in Denver for yeah. the touring companies. And uh, I just gravitated towards it because I loved that, that type of expression. I wanted to express myself in the same way. And so I surrounded myself with that community. So once you were in San Francisco... You, and you went to college and you went to grad school. Was it for theater arts? Yeah. So when I was in San Francisco, I was introduced to experimental theater and I was introduced to forms like the viewpoints and Suzuki training, mm-hmm. uh, biomechanics, all these like really rigorous physical theater trainings. And I loved it because I had a dance background mm. and I was finding this way to bridge my dance into my more theatrical uh, actor life. Mm-hmm. And 
I ended up doing sketch comedy there as well and improv. I've always been multi-passionate. I haven't been like, I'm only a musical theater actor or I'm right. only this, right? I've, I've like, I do it all <laughs> except maybe musical theater. Uh, and so- <laughs> I love um, the tone of voice that you did. I'm a, I'm a musical theater. I'm a musical actor. theater person. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, musical theater people. Uh, I know you don't all talk that way. You sing yeah. to me. You don't talk that way to me. Uh, and so, Joseph, you have your mic muted. You can unmute. We want to hear your laughter. Okay. But it's nice to hear your laughter and be part of the convo. <laughs> it is. It is. He has, he has a very contagious laugh, which is lovely. Um, so... San Francisco, I got introduced to improv through a sketch comedy group that I was in and through the Bay Area Theater Sports, where I was in another improv group called Ad Nauseum. And I was like, I want to study this more. And then I got permission to do that for myself when a member of our sketch comedy group was like, I'm going to Chicago and I'm going to study improv at IO, which was once called Improv Olympic, then IO. And now mm -hmm. it's unfortunately no longer. So I went there, interned my way through IO. And then I also love teaching. So I was teaching kids theater and uh, how to create their own work. And I was co-teaching a class with a core faculty member of the Second City. And she's like, mm -hmm. you're awesome. We're starting a youth program at the Second City. Why don't you come help us out with that? And so I did. I helped start the youth program at the Second City and then ended up teaching adults and loving that and eating that up. And then I was like, but I still want to roll around on the floor in my sweatpants. And mm -hmm. so then I went... So then I went to Naropa University in Boulder, Colorado, where these practitioners, these amazing theater artists from New York, from ETW and Tisch at NYU, started a program. It was Wendell Beavers and Erica Berland and uh, Barbara Dilly, and uh, the guest artists were Moises Kaufman and Lee Fondakowski and the City Company. So I got to dive in and roll around on the floor for two years. And then I met my husband, and I ended up staying in Denver a lot longer than I had anticipated. And then one day my husband and I are like, let's get an RV. Let's travel around the country. We adopted this beautiful African-American girl that I did not want to raise in Colorado because mm -hmm. of the lack of diversity there. And it felt important to me that as her parent and my husband as well as pa her parents, we needed to step it up and do better. So we tried to find the best community that would fit for our family and mm -hmm. our needs. And so that's why we got the RV in the first place and traveled through all these different cities in the country. And then we ended up in Mexico because we're like, we're running out of money. <laughs> uh -huh. And, uh, and I got to meet Joseph and his lovely husband, Eli, and that has been an amazing relationship. And now, because of that trip, we are now in New York City. We moved here a year and a half shy of the pandemic, and I would not go back. Wow. Wow. Yep. Wow. wow. Um, so that's it. All right. That's that's it. We're done. <laughs> I, well, I, I want to do a little deep dive, but I want to just ask you, Joseph, now, where did you grow up? My story is so vanilla compared to Meredith Grundy. So I grew up in Wilmington, Delaware, just a few miles from Joseph Biden, and happy to have that connection. And I spent 30 years there. I was also doing theater in high school, loved improv as well. Mm. And then when I finished graduate school, I picked up and drove across country and settled in San Diego and spent 13 years there, loving it, working my butt off, trying to afford the prices out there. And then mm. a few years ago, I don't remember exactly when, maybe 12 years or so, I moved to central Mexico and I'm not going back. <laughs> and you're not going back. So Meredith, I understand for you, you felt like these people, the actors understood you, you fit in, you know, they get you. Joseph, why acting for you? Absolutely what, what the same answer. Absolutely. Really? It felt really safe to be there. I wasn't especially academically gifted, not that I didn't have the ability, but I just wasn't interested in mm -hmm. memorizing facts and whatever else they were doing in math class or whatever. But I love the artistic expression and I love the community in the theater and it felt so welcoming and it felt like home. 
And after, mm-hmm. like Meredith, I became a visual artist. They didn't have that program so much where I went, but they did have a strong theater program. And I spent three years there. And what about the 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 storytelling, the reflection of our our humanity? How was that for either one of you to be able to take on a character? I mean, improv is a little different because you're creating a character or a caricature and living from that place. What about other stories that have been written and scripted and yet so well done that it is something that you wanted to portray? Did any of that uh, attract you to be able to tell those kind of stories? Well, it's interesting you asked the question and the, the 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 first thing that popped into my head when you were asking that question actually wasn't a scripted piece. It was something that uh, I was called to write and then was later invited to perform. Mm. Uh, so is that okay if I answer that? Of course. Okay. Because there's a lot of plays that are going through my head right now, which is like, oh, this is why I did this play and this is why it's important to tell these stories. But the the one of the pivotal moments for me as a performer was when I was in undergrad, I was at a school called Fort Lewis College in Durango, Colorado. It was set on this mesa above the town. It was actually one of those cool schools that you could get your coffee and hike to Mm. in the morning. And um, we had this guest artist, Helen Richardson, who came one year. And she was an experimental theater uh, creator. She she she's a New Yorker. She had these really, to me at the time, these really progressive ways of looking and creating art, looking at and creating art. And she called us to do this piece about uh, uh, Oppenheimer and the atomic bomb and the Trinity site, which is located near Durango, Colorado, and to do a reflection on what that meant to us. And then we would go to the Trinity site and perform that piece. Mm -hmm. And I wrote a piece called Shell Shocked because I lived with a father who had PTSD from being, he was a Marine in the Vietnam War. And when I was 11, 12 years old, he started to have flashbacks from his experience there, which he hadn't bumped up against until this moment in time. Mm. And uh, it was very traumatizing for the entire family. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize, because I, I didn't really have a therapist. I didn't have that community of people to be able to talk through it with. It was a little taboo to even mention that anything was going on wrong in the family. Right. And so she unleashed this opportunity for me to be able to write about it. And I, I might have performed from an open wound. I don't know at this point, but whatever, wherever I did come from in that performance and that storytelling was life-changing for me. And it, it really did show me the healing power of story, the healing power of theater, mm-hmm. and how important it is that we support the playwrights, the artists, uh, the directors, and this piece, especially in these times where of uncertainty where we're trying so hard to communicate. And it seems near impossible sometimes that we can go to these stories and we can use these stories, whether that be Shakespeare or, or whomever to reflect back in time and history and go, y'all like, (laughs) there's a reason why this was written. Mm -hmm. We need to start listening better. So I, I, that's, that's a very long answer to your question, but that was very pivotal for me. Yeah. I can understand that. Um, I, uh, I had, uh, written some music for some veterans, uh, a couple of years back, uh, because I wrote the underscore music for American Sniper. I was asked to come and meet with some veterans and put on a concert. And, mm-hmm. um, after meeting with these veterans and some of them were, uh, from Vietnam, War some I mean I met some from all the way from World War One, um, and uh, hearing their stories, I did a little research on PTSD, and it's not everything that I I don't I'm not going to say I know everything here, but mm. one of the things that really struck me was that they have to heal the first casualty, and um, 
come to grips with it. And so the first casualty could be, imagine if you were on the battlefield and your friend just got shot or Mm -hmm. you saw, you know, your enemy get shot or you had to do it. And, um, and that's quite a, a staggering thing. And I wrote this piece of music called one more minute Mm. where what if in that moment, right then, right there, time froze and you had one minute out of time, Mm. what would you, what would you do? How would you connect human to human, soul to soul? And what would you say? How would you heal each Mm. other? And, um, so I share all this to say that I understand just a little bit about what you just talked about and what your dad is possibly going through with PTSD. It's, it's a serious matter. And to be able to tell a story, to reflect the stories, to mirror back, at least in my circumstance, it was very healing for a lot of the veterans because what I heard back from them was somebody gets it. Mm. Mm-hmm. That beautiful. I mean, that's not. It's not like they needed to be fixed. Like you know what I mean. That's. I guess that's being crass, but it's more like they're being heard and they're being acknowledged, and they'll they're going to find their way through. You know, just like we all do. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Joseph, what about you? How how did you deal with scripted material? How was that for you, or or were you more of an improviser and stayed in that world? For me, um, I'm actually looking when I when you ask the question. Thank you for that. I'm thinking more not so much about what I've done in the past, but what I'm doing now and in the mm-hmm. in the immediate future, and that is that. I'm working on a project with my husband and it's about his healing journey from cancer and from some other trauma that he had in his life called Out of the Blue. And as part of that, there's going to be a program where people who are experiencing cancer can write their own monologues and then have them performed on Mm. stage with professional actors or by the people themselves. And there's just so much beauty in giving voice to those who typically are marginalized or that are swept aside or not listened to, you know, similar to what you did with, with the veterans, Joseph, there's such beauty in that. And, and the part that I'm realizing is that sometimes we don't even realize we don't have a voice like because Mm. it's just been so habituated in our lives to give somebody that permission to say, here's your spot, here's your moment, here's your 10 minutes on stage, whatever it is, there's real beauty in that. So Mm -hmm. those are the stories I'm looking forward to co-creating and producing and sharing with the world as people who are having terminal illness experiences. I think that is amazing. I I immediately say yes to that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, and uh, like, you know, I'm, part of me is like, yeah, I would do that as an actor. Mm-hmm. Take on somebody's life to really empathize and portray their world. It's, it's a, a, imagine somebody reflecting back your life. It's the mm-hmm. best therapist you could ever really mm-hmm. have and cheaper. Mm -hmm. so listeners you might be interested if if this topic interests you there is a whole form of theater called playback theater and the actors actually bring somebody up from the audience and ask them questions about their life depending on the theme of the show and then the actor the actors replay what they heard in that story and Meredith can speak more intelligently to this and to everything else that I say um, about playback theater and how beautiful and experiential that is. And it's incredibly therapeutic. That Mm -hmm. is amazing. I would love to find out more about that because I would love to be part of that. Um, It reminds me of a lot what I did with veterans and part of the show that I put on this concert, I did two of them, uh, was also interview people of the town, people who were influential 
in the town but didn't always have a voice and I would hear their story and then I would write some music and interpret it that mm. way for them. Uh, and then I would let them come up and guest conduct it. Wow. Oh, that's wonderful. So that yeah. they could just, because there's nothing comparable to standing in front of an orchestra and having this wave of sound around you. You know, you can wear headphones and listen to music, but when you're standing right there, it's pretty powerful because uh, mm-hmm. all that, you know, all that energy is just washing right over you. Um, but what you're talking about just thrills me. Tell me more about that. Yeah, well, it's a it's a form that was started actually by psychotherapists, where and the, the to, where a person comes up on stage, they tell their story, the story is played back. There's forms within it, so it is an improvised form. It's usually accompanied by a live musician as well mm-hmm. that is playing that other character within the storytelling. Mm-hmm. Some people come up on stage and they want the story to have a different ending. Mm. Sometimes that feels healing for them, or they just want to see the story played out so they can find the lessons within it for themselves. And what's really important for us as the performers is to really honor that story. Yeah. And sometimes the stories are really difficult to play back. They're hard stories to hear. And sometimes they're just funny stories. So it's it's always a really delightful evening because we what's so interesting to me about it is so many people think they don't have an interesting enough story to tell. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I do aside from acting is coach people in public speaking. And I hear it so often, well, I don't have anything interesting. I'm not an, mm-hmm. I've not had a trauma in my life or I've not had this or that or the next thing or this motivational speaker over here is brilliant. I can never be that. And I always say, well, find one thing in front of you and tell me a story about it, mm. right? And so what happens in the playback, and the reason why I'm bringing this up is 99% of the time, it just takes the one person to come up on stage and share their human experience about a vacation they took. Mm-hmm. That's it. And then the next thing you know is we have a whole show about vacations or trips that people have taken because they were inspired by that one story that was told, that first initial offering into the space, everyone found a commonality. Mm, mm-hmm. And they did have stories and they they wanted to tell them. And then they felt safe because not only did they find the commonality, but they saw somebody else take that brave step. So they went, okay, I can take a brave step mm-hmm. too. So multiple things are happening within the space. And that's why I love the form so much because it's transformative on many levels. Mm-hmm. The other thing I wanted to say too, which was what it was also fascinating about the form is that the storyteller casts the actors to play the roles within their own story. So oftentimes the story, I have been the storyteller who came from the audience, for example, one, I had just been going through a divorce. This woman comes up on stage. She tells a story about her grueling divorce. And then the conductor, the person who's moderating is, who do you want to play this part? Well, they picked me. And that happens all the time. It's like they, it's magically, they pick the right person to play them in that moment. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really profound. And they didn't know you went through the divorce. No. That, mm-hmm. that amazing. And then they yeah. might even cast like, okay, who do you want to play that dark emotion? Or who do you want to play that room? Or who do you want to play the judge? So you can cast not just physical people that are in the life or in the story, but also some more, how would you explain it? Transient or experiential parts of that, Mm -hmm. you know? I absolutely love this. And going back a little bit, you didn't just land on this. As you were progressing in your lives, you had to have gone, you know, like my life is not a straight shot mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. it's been zigzagged and 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 I've done my own pivot points on on my show and so people who want to know who I am can find out who I am and so you both have finished a, a, a college did you try to do the Hollywood thing did you try to go okay I'm going to Hollywood and and I'm gonna make it in pictures or what yeah. happened what was the next step? Or, or were you both theater people and want to just stay in the theater? For me, the next step 
was, I was thinking about this this morning because I knew we had the interview coming up, Joseph, and my pivotal step was hiring a life coach. Oh, tell That's me about That's really what transformed my life in so many meaningful and monumental ways. And it wasn't even something that I was seeking out because this was 25 years ago. Life coaching was not part of the vernacular back yeah. then. I had no idea what it was, but I was cleaning houses and trying to make it in Southern California. I was working part-time at a vegetarian restaurant. I loved that job. It was amazing. And one of the waitresses that I was friendly with, Leslie Jeter, came up to me and she knew I was miserable. She knew I was insomniac. I was very open about how many worries I had about money and all those problems I was experiencing. And she said, you know, I'm a life coach. And I was like, what the hell is that? And she said, why don't we try a few sessions and see how it goes? And a year and a half later, through the transition that I experienced with her, was I went from cleaning houses to having a beautiful one-man show of assemblage art. And I am still in that medium today. And I discovered that through my work with her and some other courses that I took. That was my pivot point. That's amazing. What is, tell the audience what assemblage art is. Assemblage art is using found objects, so secondhand objects that you might find in a thrift store or on the street or at the landfill, and you can assemble them together. That's where the word assemblage comes from. You can assemble them together into a new construction. And Pablo Picasso is credited with doing some of the first assemblages where he would take disparate objects and put them together to create sculpture. So it's a form of sculpture. Mm. How often do you do those shows? Pre-pandemic, a few times a year. Okay. And during the pandemic, not at all. Yeah, right. How can you? Sure. And what about you, Meredith? Oh, goodness. Mine, well, like you had said, Joseph, it's a zigzag. It does, yeah. It's totally a zigzag. I, I have wanted to do it all, which has been a curse and a blessing at the same time. So I did. So in San Francisco, I have a fun, I, the pivot point, <laughs> the pivot well, point for me has been. Don't worry I, about that. Don't get, okay. don't, you don't have well, to get hung I, up on that. A, I'm just really curious about, you know, we all have our journeys and we make decisions based on the circumstances around us at the time. Right. And, and we don't yes. know those are going to be big pivot points. They just end up, you know, pivot point is a, is a, um, it's a rear view mirror approach, right? It's looking back and go, yeah, that was quite pivotal. Right. Right. Well, I have so many, they're like pivot joints. <laughs> <laughs> if I look back now, in, in my middle-aged self, and I look back at my 20-year-old self, I would say that my, my I wish I had believed in myself more because mm -hmm. I had a lot of opportunities presented to me mm -hmm. that I was not grateful enough for. It was like I was never good enough in my own eyes mm -hmm. to achieve something better. So I'm going to give two examples of that. One is I was at in San Francisco and I was I decided to sign up for the ACT training center to take a class. And the person who was in charge of the training center at the time looked at me and he said, "Carrie Perloff is holding an audition for the misanthrope, you should audition." And I went, "Oh, okay. I I guess I'll audition." So I prepared my monologue. I went in and there I was performing in front of Carrie Perloff and whomever else was in the room. And I went up on my monologue, like mm. panic attack went up on my monologue. And I remember I said, can I just turn around and take a few breaths? And she was like, fine, turn around, took a few breaths, turned back around, started again, fucked it up again. Am I allowed to swear? Mm, sure. I just did. No, okay. So fucked it up again. <laughs> I could not get through it. I got myself in such a tizzy mm. that I couldn't get through the monologue. Then she says, okay, we're just going to leave this can you dance? I said, uh, yeah. So she partners me with another actor. I dance with that actor. I get cast. Mm. I get cast in the show. Having gone up on my monologue like numerous times. Right. I could not be okay with getting cast. I could not be grateful. I could not. I. It's like I refuse to let myself be present in the moment and, and notice how amazing this opportunity was. Mm-hmm. I just couldn't do it. I remember walking on our break, you know, from the green room, we'd go grab some dinner and I'd be like, 
but she just cast me because I can dance. She just cast me because not because I can act, but just because I can dance. I am not an actor. I don't know how to act, you know, mm-hmm. like at boohoo, mm-hmm. cry me a fucking river. Uh, and then, so that's the first ex- uh, example of what I wish I would have done differently, which is I wish I had more gratitude and had been more present. Mm-hmm. The second one was second city touring company was having auditions. I hadn't auditioned yet city. I had all of these, like one person that I admired. I remember we're in a bar, Dan back at all. And he's like, you need to be on the second city main stage. I'm like, awesome. That's great. And then I went and auditioned one time once. And someone said, caught, you know, there was a rumor that Mike Myers was sitting in the audience. So I let that get the best of me. Yeah. Uh, I got, uh, you know, McNapier's pacing back and forth, smoking a cigarette, which he could do at the time, I think. And <laughs> I was nervous. I was not in, in my body. And then mm. I got up on stage and I got judgy. And I was like, these people don't know what they're doing. I know what I'm doing. And then all this stuff that came out of my mouth was horrible mm. and mm-hmm. not supportive. And uh, I, what I would do now, if I were to talk to my younger self, is I would say, Meredith, do not make it about you. Stop yeah. making it about you. Mm. And uh I, that's, I, that's, that's, those are, I would say two pivot points for me looking back at my younger self. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd love to add to that. Thank you, Meredith. And so as a podcaster, Joseph, I also sometimes have an ear towards the listener, you know, the people mm-hmm. that are out there that are listening to this. And what I want to share with you listener is that in your pivot points, I really encourage you to trust yourself because life is messy. It's not <laughs> linear. Like Joseph was saying earlier, it's really messy and you are allowed to have doubts and you are allowed to make mistakes and you are allowed to reach out because there's a lot of people out there that are willing to help you. And if there are not people out there willing to help you find them, get new people yeah. in your life. But even in the midst of your doubts, you're allowed to have trust that you're going to figure mm-hmm. it out. It's not mm-hmm. going to be completely clear. You're not going to wake up one morning and say, oh, I think I need to go study this. It's probably not going to happen that way. Maybe it will. But for most of us, we just need to take the very next step. Mm-hmm. And I love the analogy that you can drive across the entire country in the dark with only your headlights showing the next 20 feet in front of you. And that's all you ever need to see. Yeah, that's great, Joseph. And I'd like to add that a pivot point, we don't know we're in a pivot point. Yeah, When the pivot Mm. point happens, you're in the midst of living and you can reflect back and think about things and what really changed your life. But if we are if we are living our lives to go oh this is my pivot point this is my opportunity then we are actually focused on the wrong thing mm. you know like with meredith when you're talking about these opportunities they became impressive how can i impress mm. rather mm. than mm-hmm. yeah express right. you know yeah. what am i expressing and so you know it becomes a little bit of a head trip. And I totally agree, Joseph. It's life life is messy. I love that you said that because I say that a lot. Mm-hmm. It's not, mm-hmm. it's just, it is just is. That's part of being human. And that's what I love about the arts is yeah. our humanity, our messiness. And, and I'm that's, feeling- I think where we connect. Mm-hmm. What were you going to say? I'm feeling called to share something else. I just kind of downloaded this from source. I don't know where it's coming from, but I won't edit it because I think it's important. And listener, if you think that one of your pivot points could be getting sober from an addiction, if there's a part of you that's thinking, oh, maybe I need to let go of this thing in order to be more successful, Mm. listen to that. Yeah. So I'll just share that because that could be a pivot point for many of us, like just getting sober. Mm-hmm. Thank you for saying that. I will also add, and I think it's kind of what we're all saying here about trusting ourselves, is that um, we all have an intuitive self. Mm-hmm. And there's that voice inside that really wants the best for you. Mm-hmm. And um, to be uh, friends with that voice 
to honor the voice uh, and not be afraid to make a choice. And, you know, if it's a wrong choice, you can choose again. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm reminded of the story my brother told me years ago. And and this is uh, this is not about religion. It just happens to be somebody who is religious. Mm-hmm. He told me the story about this nun who was the head of this multi-million dollar television studio. And someone once asked her, "How did you get to be the head of this television studio?" And she said, "I just kept on walking through the open doors." <laughs> I love that. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me of um, one time when I was working on a movie. Um, I was working on Alpha and the mixer was mixing. And I was in, you know, you, you have like a break room and you go in and I was getting myself a cup of coffee. He just walks by and just says, always say yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I just kind of looked at him like this and I'm like, mm. Okay. Message received. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's like that Tina Fey quote, say yes and figure out the rest later. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think we get in our heads so much that um, we need to know the step before we take it, which, okay, and I'm guilty of this. I grew up on the East Coast, and, and I blame it on the East Coast because <laughs> it was part of survival. You had to know what you were going to do next, you know? And it was really drilled into me to be a planner, and know your steps. But then there is that scene in Indiana Jones where he has to cross this chasm and it's supposed to be a bridge there, but he can't see it. And he takes the sand and he throws it across what seems to be this nothingness and a bridge kind of appears. And he has to then have the faith to step on this unseeable bridge and take that next step forward. That, I think, equates to a lot of our life. And particularly as a person who works in the arts, the expression in the arts, we go on hunches. We go Mm, on that intuitiveness. mm -hmm. And then it's like, there it is. Hmm. Yeah. And some of us don't do that, Joseph. Beautiful story. Thank you. Some of us don't do that because we are so worried. What will they think? Whoever they are, right? The husband, the parents, the next door neighbor, what will they think? Who cares? Yeah. Yeah. I I keep quoting people, but Martha Graham has that quote. um, Stop. Stop. uh, Don't worry about what other people think. It's none of your business Mm -hmm. (laughs) or something like that. (laughs) I like that. It's a hard one. You know, it It is hard. I, I mean, I still struggle with that. You know, I, I, it's just, um, I'm reminded to always let that go. Just yeah. let it go. Just and improv go. will help you with that. Yeah. And it will help listeners yeah. with that improv. Yeah. Uh, As I'm looking at the time, boy, it's almost like I'd really like to go deep diving on this, but I want to touch on your podcast um, and support your podcast here. And um, tell me why you did this podcast. The, the name of your podcast is uh, mm-hmm. are you waiting for permission? So, why that podcast and why you two? How did that happen? <laughs> yeah, why us two? <laughs> Everybody else wanted to be paid, and we were the only ones who were willing to do it for chips. <laughs> <laughs> and no dip. I want the dip. No dip. No. <laughs> no. Go ahead. Well, Meredith. Joseph doesn't know. I I, I negotiated dip. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, so it's me, huh? Okay. Well, Joseph is one of those humans that I just adore. And like we said at the beginning, we met in San Miguel de Allende. I went to go see a micro theater project, uh, which he was performing in. And that project in itself inspired another project that I got to, to direct and produce later, which was awesome. And Joseph and I got talking and he said, oh, you teach improv. I have this improv group. Would you like to come teach a workshop? And so I did. Mm-hmm. And so I, I taught a workshop a couple of times yes. for mm-hmm. Joseph's uh, improv group. And we became friends. Mm. And then during the pandemic, I think it was, was it roughly January? January 15th. Was, 
oh my goodness, he has the exact date. I, I better I better write that down somewhere. I'm going to get in trouble 20 years down the road. Uh, on January 15th, 2021, uh, Joseph called me at 3.13 p.m. in the afternoon, Eastern time. And uh, he said- Are you sure? <laughs> yeah, I'm positive on the time, not the date, but the time. Uh, he, he was like, do you want to do a podcast with me? And I was like, yeah, I do. Uh -huh. And then that's how that part of it was birthed. And then, Joseph, you should speak into the name of it because it was something that you had written or had for a while, mm -hmm. right? Yes. So we went back and forth, many, many WhatsApp messages back and forth of what do we want to experience? What do we want our listener to experience? What do we want to call this? And we were just kind of throwing spaghetti noodles at the wall to see what sticks. And I proposed... Are you waiting for permission? It was the name of a book that I wanted to write many decades mm. ago, two decades ago. And I proposed that idea. And Meredith is like, yes, I think that's great. And and the space that we're co-creating, it's all guests, like you, it's all guest-based, like yours, Joseph. And it's about those of us who are either giving ourselves permission or that are still waiting for permission and trying to create a brave life for ourselves and not mm. worrying about what other people think and reaching out to other people and saying, hey, can you help me with this dream? And so it's an inspiration-based creative space for people. And uh, how do you go about finding your guests? Well, there's only 8 billion people in the world. Okay. So... <laughs> It's more about how do we say no to guests? What, what's your vetting process? <laughs> um, we don't have much of one yet. We're really interested. Like, I'll tell the story. I was reading a book and it told the story about this wonderful man who was getting water for refugees. And somebody came up to him and said, who gave you permission to do this? And he said, God did, because he was stealing the water from the city and giving it to the refugees. And I'm like, Meredith, I want to work with him. I want to interview him. And we did. Mm. And so it's just really being open to who's out there creating interesting and remarkable or not so remarkable experiences. And we just sit down mm -hmm. and have conversations with them. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, a lot of our guests have been coaches, uh, a lot of creative types. We've had a lot of actors, musicians, uh, visual artists, if you will. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's been really lovely. And a lot of, I would say... Joseph, I was thinking about this the other day too. We have a lot of really fun, cool friends <laughs> between the two of us as well, yes. who mm -hmm. have done some pretty spectacular things. And so I, we have been really calling upon our community as well. And then when we meet other like-minded, awesome people who are also doing cool things like yourself, we invite people well, into the to the podcast as mm -hmm. as guests. Yes, Joseph will be a guest on our podcast mm -hmm. in 2 weeks from now, I believe. I love yes. it. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yes. Thank you for talking about that and uh helping us understand a little bit about what your podcast is about. Just getting back to your journey as as we get close to wrapping up. I often ask people well, I asked them two things. One is, tell me about a hurdle, something that was pretty important in your life that you had to work through. That's going to be the first question. So let me do that. And who wants to answer that one first? Hmm. Joseph? A, a couple of things come to mind, but I think the one that most of your listeners will relate to is that I was really screwed up in my mind around money. And I really thought that because I was so under earning in my life and spending hours and hours sleepless worrying about how am I going to pay the bills? And I know, Joseph, you experienced this too. And in your podcast episodes, you talk about mm -hmm. some of your struggles with mm -hmm. unemployment and mm -hmm. not having unemployment insurance and things like that and those struggles. And that was one of the biggest hurdles that I had to move through. Mm. And my coach helped me with that. 
And I changed this. Listener, I am pointing to my mind right now. Right. <laughs> I changed that. How was the change, Joseph? Did, was it a how you framed money? How the importance of money? What was that? I studied it. So, you know, there's this beautiful quote out there that says, success leaves clues. So there are brilliant teachers out there who have written books and done podcasts and done YouTubes and talk about um, money mentality and prosperity and all of that. And I just mm -hmm. absorbed as much as I could and really started to look at the areas. This sounds counterintuitive, but I started to look at the areas where I was really prosperous, where I mm -hmm. was feeling plentiful. You know, I have plenty of friends. I have plenty of air to breathe. I have plenty of clean socks. I have plenty of dog hair in my life. And just creating that switch to where's plentitude, it allowed me to, as they say, change your thinking, change your life. So I just mm -hmm. changed my thoughts around it. And, and your takeaway was what then? That the universe is incredibly abundant and we just need to get the hell out of our own way. Okay. What about you, <laughs> Meredith? Thank you, Joseph. Uh, I would say mine is having negotiated that really informative time of my life when I was a teenager and having a father with PTSD. Mm -hmm. uh, um, I feel like... I had a lot of, it's similar to Joseph. I had to change the way that I was thinking and the negative self-talk that I wasn't really overly conscious of. Uh, and like, I go back to that ACT story, right? That I was, I didn't think I was good enough or mm -hmm. I didn't have the confidence to go back and audition again uh, at Second City, right? So because of that negative self-talk, I feel that what I have done over the years has really transformed myself and have shifted that to go, actually, Meredith, you've got this. You've had all these amazing opportunities. You know what you're doing in these places. Uh, and back to our podcast, uh, the title of our podcast is, Are You Waiting for Permission? I feel that, as you know, in the arts, we do a lot of waiting around for someone to give us permission to do something. And I'm in this place now where I'm not afraid to now ask questions. Um, I'm not afraid to, uh, like you had also mentioned, Joseph, walk through the open door mm. like I used to. So it's, and that's taken a lot of time. And it's also, I, I feel the most important piece of that was recognizing where it came from first, right? So it's similar to what you said with the casualty and the, mm the vet who has to go back to find what was the first casualty and I need to heal that first. I think it took me time to figure out where the first casualty was for myself so mm. that I could change the way that I was thinking about myself and that negative self-talk. So wow. huge. And I'm, yeah. I'm actually very excited every day to wake up and go, what, what today? That is amazing. That's a lot of work. It's a lot of, yes. And it doesn't stop. It's a process. It never stops. Yeah. 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 Wow. Um, all right. As we wrap last question, what would you say to your eight year old self? My eight year old self. <laughs> I'll go. <laughs> so I'm sorry to admit this, but true story. I started smoking cigarettes when I was eight years old. So I would tell my eight year old self, do not pick up a cigarette. Mm. Okay. And same question while Meredith is contemplating. Same question to you, Joseph. Oh, back to me. Um, I would think I would, uh, I would say to myself that I am enough. Mm. You know, I would be able to look at him and and say, "You don't have to hide everything. You're you're mm -hmm. enough. It's okay." Um, and I could go deeper in that, but maybe we'll do that on your show. <laughs> <laughs> we might. We absolutely we might. Definitely. Meredith Grundy, what about you? Yeah. So I have a 10-year-old daughter, and I'm going to tell you what I tell her every day. You are brave. You are wise. You're a badass and you can do whatever the fuck you want in this world. I don't say fuck, but if I could, well, I do sometimes. Uh, you can be whatever you want. And I, I, I would say those words 
to my eight-year-old self. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Meredith, Joseph, thank you so much for being on my show. This has been really great. I wish we had more time. I would love to hang out in person. I think we'd have a lot more uh, to chat about. But uh, this will just have to do for now. <laughs> this will have to do for now. And yes, I look forward to that day when we are all in the same room together. Yeah, mm, Me yeah. too. Thank you. All right. Thank you both Meredith and Joseph. We'll talk soon. Well, there you go. What a great show. And different, right? We haven't really had two people on a show before. And it's really nice to hear their perspectives some of them are different, some similar. And I really love what their podcast is all about. Is it? Uh, it's about permission. Are you waiting for permission? That's their podcast. Please check it out. Go find it. Meredith Grundy, Joseph Bennett. Are you waiting for permission? And please don't wait for permission. All right, next week on the show. Well, this is what I have to tell you. I'm not sure just yet. We're kind of mixing it up a little bit. I've done some traveling. So next week, it's going to be a surprise. <laughs> so in the meantime, take care of yourself. Be careful of the Delta. And remember, if they're doing it, why not you? <laughs>